and in my life, in this generation, is for that as we respond to Jesus, we become proactive makers of peace. All things working together the way that they should universal flourishing on this side of eternity. Blessed are the peacemakers. Making peace is an active, conscious choice that each of us can make in any situation. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And it's so much more than just quiet. It's universal flourishing. It's justice and mercy and grace all wrapped up into one. In today's message, Pastor Daniel is going to show you that to be a peacemaker, followers of Christ must proactively seek to fix what is broken in the world. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 5 as he begins his message, The Beauty of Faithfulness. We want our lives to reflect the things that we value the most. There's nothing worse than knowing the person that you want to be, that you're hoping to be, that you're striving to be, and not seeing that person living in real time. That's why we're doing this series that we're calling Beautiful, because God sent his own son into the world to redeem humanity back so that we can live a beautiful life once again, a life that got squandered a long time ago. And as we've been studying this, these passages, the Beatitudes and the Fruit of the Spirit, what we've been finding every step of the way is that what God wants is for the beliefs that we hold to actually transform the way that we live. I was talking to someone the other day and and they said, Pastor Daniel, when I hear you speak, you're always talking about the invitations of God, but you don't actually talk about the commandments of God. And I thought it was a really, it was like a challenge. And I said, well, actually, the commandments of God are an invitation. It's like if I just said, hey, this is what it's going to be. Everyone decides what they want to do with that, right? And so God could say, this is what your life's supposed to be. But it is an invitation that each one of us needs to respond to, right? And so one of the things that I always encourage people is that as you're hearing Bible teaching, whether it's here at Crossroads or or you're picking a podcast or you're watching online or TV or the radio, the key is, are you taking that information and are you applying it to the way that you live? Like, is it changing the way that you live your life? So one of the things, the beauty for me as a pastor, as a Bible teacher, before I preach a message, like you're all hearing a message and then my encouragement is to live it out. But like, if I'm going to teach it to you, I actually want to be living it first because I don't want to be that guy. You know, I don't want to be that guy who like, I know what it says, but I'm actually not choosing to live it. And so I say, Lord, will you let me live the messages that I had to preach before I preached them so that it's not just like some head information. It's like, it's making down to my heart. And so, um, whatever I would do is I would tell you, don't pray that prayer. And the reason why is because God makes you live that stuff out. So sure enough, perfect example of my life and this text that we're going to study today. My family just got off of, you know, it was uh, spring break. And so, uh, you know, we jumped on a plane. We went down to the Bay Area, Sealand's family. Perfect plan we had. 
It was perfect. And the plan was, is that we were going to fly back yesterday morning. We had an early flight out. We were going to be home by eight o'clock in the morning so that we would have everything all squared away. But sure enough, we got home at 1030 last night. Now, the, what happened, it was amazing. So we get to the airport, we have an early flight, you know, and we, listen, we have little kids, so it's not like anyone's sleeping in in my house anyway, right? And so sure enough, we get to the airport, plenty of time. Now, I'm notorious in traveling because I travel so much that I, lo- I, I, I like a little adventure in my life, so I want to be cutting it close. There are pastors on our staff who won't travel with me for this reason, because I stress them out, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like a good trip if we're not running in the airport a little bit. You know, but I, I got, there's Lynn and the kids. And so like, I'm a practical person. And so I'm like, listen, we'll get there. We got there early, sure enough. You know, cause I travel so much. I have that TSA pre-check. And so I get the boarding passes, me and Obadiah and Maranatha, two of my kids, we're all TSA pre-check, but Lynn and Annabelle are not. So sure enough, I go over there and, you know, and I like to talk. So I'm like smoozing with the TSA people. And, you know, I'm like, listen, we got this, we're a family. Come on. And, and so like, well, the baby can go through, but uh, Lynn, she's got to go. But we'll let her go through the priority line. So it won't take that long. So sure enough, me, Obadiah, Maranatha, and Annabelle, we like walk through, t- you know, the t- there was like nobody there. We're like, this is great. Right. And then Lynn's standing there and she's, it's not like a long line, but she's not going anywhere. 10 minutes. 15 minutes. Then she's finally like, look, why don't you go get coffee? I'll want it when we get through, when I get through this line. And so sure enough, I hear final boarding, Portland, Oregon. And I'm like, oh, and Lynn's, I'm like, where is she? I got about 10 people to go. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to run down there and I'm going to start working on the gate people to keep the, the, the thing open. You know what I mean? And so, and so sure enough, me and Annabelle and Obadiah and Maranatha, we're running down to the gate. Now, what's funny is, is you see all your personalities at work because, you know, uh, Maranatha is very upset because Maranatha is a perfectionist. So being late is like a bad thing, right? So Maranatha is upset that we're late. And Annabelle's finally like, she'll run all day long unless you ask her to run. And she's like, I don't want to run. You know what I mean? Because she's four. And so this is all going on. And then finally, as we're running to the gate... It dawns on Maranatha, are we going to leave mommy behind? And so Maranatha gets very upset. And I'm like, Maranatha, I'm not going to leave mommy. Come on. Like, you know, and so I get to the gate, sure enough. And you know what it's like when you fly certain airline carriers. I couldn't get any. I'm like, listen, man, I got these three kids. If we don't get this flight, we're going to be in the airport all day. And everyone's going to have a terrible airport experience because my kids are crazy. Like, you just hold it for five minutes. And I'm going to try and everything. And they're like, no, 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 no. And so sure enough, the gate closes. We're stuck there. Yeah, this is my story, you know? And so sure enough, five minutes later, Lynn shows up running. I'm here. I'm like, well, we just missed the flight. Don't worry about it, you know? And so then you start going through all the rigmaroles of like, how do you get a new flight? And so sure enough, I go, and then the airline carrier that we will not name ever again in my life, you know, we go there like, well, we can get you out tomorrow morning. You could be, you know, you could be home at uh, nine o'clock tomorrow morning. I'm like, ah, I actually got something I got to do tomorrow morning, you know? So, so that's not going to work. And, and so we're planning all this stuff out and everyone's, you know, Maranatha's fine. I'm like, look, we didn't leave my mommy behind. We're never going to leave mommy behind. No problem. Everyone's fine. And then sure enough, I sit down and I'm finally like, I get everything dialed in and I'm frustrated. And I look over at Lynn, my wife, and she goes, and I look at her, she smiles. She's like, God's got a good plan. So like at six o'clock in the morning, I don't have like a grip on my body language. You know what I mean? There's no grip. So like, I like rolled my eyes. I think I made like the gag sign, like, 
you know? And she's like, no, no, Daniel, listen, there's a million reasons why we had to miss that flight. And I'm like, thinking to myself, I'm like, you're the one who was late, you know? Not, not, it wasn't even her fault, you know what I mean? It's like 90 minutes to get through a line of 30 people at TSA. And I, it's like, I'm just sitting there just like, and, and then like, and as we're, we're leaving and we decide we get a rental car for the day and like, and then everything worked out, like the rental car, we just dropped the car off and gave us the car back, you know what I mean? And so we're just like, rolling. And, and then Lynn's like, you know, Daniel, I mean, like, What's the chances of us missing that flight? I'm like 50-50. You know, like I'm this grumpy. Like I'm just like, I, like I'm tired. Like I had a whole plan. I was going to get home. We're going to get the life back together. I was going to catch a nap, be all ready for church on Sunday. And it was broken. The thing, it wasn't even broken. It was like the thing just got shattered. And then finally, we're driving back to the airport at night to get on the plane. And Lynn's like, you know what, Dan? You know what I think really happened? I think there's some other people who needed to be home because maybe there's something going on in their families. And they needed our seats more than we did. Now, at that point, now I'm like super convicted. <laughs> because I realized, like, my wife has got the right perspective. And I'm just grumpy. You know what I mean? And it dawned on me, it was like the perfect light bulb. Because as we see the beatitude and the fruit of the spirit that we're going to see today, what I realized is that in that moment, as much as I love Jesus, I'm a pastor, I'm a Bible teacher, you know, all this stuff, you know, in that, in the, where the rubber meets the road in your life, you get to choose how you want to see things and you get to choose who you want to be in that moment. And I, and I wasn't angry. Like, I'm not like an angry person. So I wasn't like, I mean, I wasn't yelling at the gate agent, but I wanted to, you know? And when they told me they couldn't get me out today, I'm like, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, you know? But then there's my wife with her perspective. It's powerful. So in order to see this, I want you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter five. We're gonna be taking Matthew five, verse nine, and we're gonna be linking it to its fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5, 22. So if you didn't bring a Bible with you to church today, don't worry because your smartphones are still smart, or at least we hope. You type in Matthew 5, 9, you can get it that way. But it says this, it says, Matthew 5, 9, says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. And then we're linking it to, of course, that seventh fruit of the spirit, but the fruit of the spirit is faithfulness. Now, we've been memorizing these two sections together as a church. So we're all going to repeat this out together because as you say it out, it'll get in your heart a little bit better. So read it with me. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. Now, don't forget, all the way through we've been seeing that this word blessed, it means, oh, how happy, oh, how fortunate, how highly favored are, and here we have, the peacemakers. Now, I got something super deep for you all, and you're going to love this. Peacemakers make peace. <laughs> Boom. Everyone's got that, right? Peacemakers make peace. And it says, oh, how happy, oh, how fortunate, oh, how blessed and lucky by God's amazing grace are the people who are peacemakers and peacemakers make peace. Now, the reason I share that story with you is my wife in that moment was a textbook peacemaker because 
Could you imagine if me, I'm all hot under the collar trying to figure out how I'm getting my family home and I gotta get to church and there's lots to do. We got these little kids and all this stuff. And my wife's like, I can't believe we missed that flight. And she starts slamming things down and she's up at the counter. Yeah, we're tag teaming the counter people. You know what I mean? I get all crazy and then she comes in, you know? Is that making peace for anybody? Like either way, we missed the flight, right? Right, so no amount of yelling is gonna get us on that flight. Right? So not only is she making peace with me and our kids, she's giving our kids like a whole perspective on inconvenience. Like my wife lived out a theology of inconvenience yesterday. And it was mind-blowing. And because of that, everything else changed because my wife was making peace in the midst of a situation that had all sorts of lack of peace to it. My own fears, our kids, all this stuff. How many times have you been in the airport and you watch someone yell at the gate agent? I was going to ask how many of you did it, but I know you wouldn't be honest at church about that. (laughs) See, a peacemaker who in a world characterized by conflict and rivalry is somebody who proactively seeks to fix what is broken. See, it doesn't just say the peaceful. It doesn't say blessed are the peaceful. It's someone who is proactive in the midst of a conflict and rivalry and discord is proactive at fixing things. And my friends, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, the word peace, as Jesus used it, is linked to the Hebrew word shalom. And the best definition I ever found of this word shalom or peace comes from a man named Cornelius Plantiga. I try and read this quote as many times as I can because it's the best definition of peace that I've ever found anywhere. He said it this way. He says, we call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. It's a rich state of affairs where natural needs are satisfied and natural giftings are fruitfully employed all under the arch of God and in his love. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. That's a powerful quote, isn't it? Now, I would read it again, but you wouldn't, you're not going to write it down anyway. You can pick it up online. or I gave you his name, Cornelius Plantiga. You find it. Definition of peace. It's the best definition I ever heard. Because we often think of a peacemaker as somebody who things are broken, and they're trying to get in there and help. Or somebody who, in the midst of brokenness, has got like the Yoda calm, so to speak. But peacemaking in the Bible is about something totally different. It's the way a person who is a follower of Jesus lives inspired by the Holy Spirit that is seeking to remake the world in a way that the world is broken, to remake it, that everything works together in the way things ought to work. Now, when I use a definition like that, I realize that for most of us, you start freaking out because you're like, wow, we are so far from that right now. And listen, we are so far from that right now. There's never been a generation that has ever experienced shalom like I just explained, except for Adam and Eve in the garden before they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
That was the only time in the history of humanity that everything worked the way it was supposed to. Uh, Milton said it was paradise lost. But part of the story of Jesus is paradise being regained, reacquired. And what God is looking to do in your life and in my life, in this generation, is for that as we respond to Jesus, we become proactive makers of peace. All things working together the way that they should universal flourishing on this side of eternity. That's what God has redeemed us for. See, to me, this is important because so often in church, we hear about Jesus, his death and his resurrection, which is the good news. But that good news now has radical implications on how you live your life. It's not enough to say, I believe in Jesus. He died and he rose again for me. And I am just as a maker of rivalry and conflict as somebody who doesn't know Jesus. See, the cross bears down on our realities. The cross bears down on the way that we handle ourselves in the midst of conflict. But for so many of us as followers of Jesus, we're allowing a world of conflict to now say, I believe in Jesus, but I'm just as conflict-creating as somebody who doesn't know Jesus, which is not the good news of Jesus. If you're here today, and I believe many of you are, where you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the cross and the empty tomb has radical implications on how you live. And one of the ways that the cross transforms the way that we live is now we are not conflict creators, we are peacemakers. Now you have to ask yourself, is that you? Are you a conflict maker or a peacemaker? Now, I know right now, I've been in a Christian long enough, been in church long enough that everyone's like, oh, I'm a peacemaker. Of course I am. I'm a Christian. Are you really? Like, how much discord are you finding yourself involved in? How much discord are you unilaterally creating in your relationships, on your job? See, what I find with as a follower of Jesus, part of this is that I know the Bible well enough that I can have all these ways that I can justify being a conflict creator. Well, you know, I found my boldness in Christ, speaking truth to power. <laughs> okay. So you have to realize your and my standard for living is Jesus. You know what they said about Jesus? Listen to this. A prophecy about Jesus, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. You know this. You've heard this. Christmas time every year. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will, shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of his increase, of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, you get that, how Jesus, he's, he comes and he's all these things. He's the prince of peace and the government will be upon it. He holds the government up. So in our peacemaking, we realize that all of us as the body of Christ with unique giftings and talents and passions all find 
avenues within this world to be proactive makers of peace. See, God doesn't want us to be monolithic in our peacemaking efforts. He realized that he's created all of us with unique talents and gifts that he wants to use. That in every area of society, there are proactive makers of the way things ought to be. So the key for each one of us is, what is that area of passion that you're pursuing that you are proactively making peace? Changing the world in small ways that now all of a sudden the world is being transformed by Jesus through your life. All of us should have these areas. All of us should. None of us should say, there's not an area that I am working proactively to make peace. And here's the thing. In a lot of those areas, there is a lot of conflict. Like, I'm a big fan of people being passionate about politics. Right? I mean, people are going to be passionate about it anyway. I'm very concerned with the way as followers of Jesus... We hold that passion because the, the world we live in says, if you are, have a political bent, you are only conflict driven. And then that filters into the body of Christ where instead of being peacemakers, even though you have different visions on how the world should work, a Christian in the political sphere who's angry is useless. So we have to hold those politics and channel that passion in a way that we are still making peace even when we disagree with somebody on how it's supposed to work. So the key for each one of us, what are those areas of passion that God has for you? And are you proactively making peace? Are you saying, I'm going to invest my time and my energy, my talents and my treasures in areas of brokenness in this world in such a way that small changes occur. Now listen, many of us, we don't get involved at all because we feel like the, it's too big and I'll never get to anywhere. It's like, what can I do? Listen, Teresa of Calcutta said it this way. If you want to feed a hundred people who are starving, start with just one. We have to learn how to just be, take the step that we're on to do what's right in front of us and don't despise the days of small beginnings. Don't, don't think that it's inconsequential to change one person's life. Don't think it's not worth your energy to try and do good for one person. Because what happens is, is you do good for one person and then they know somebody. And, they, and then before you know it, as you continue to walk in this peacemaking journey that God has you on, before you know it, you're like, I don't even know how I got here. Like there's a man named Jean Vanier and brilliant guy, but he saw in his generation, this was in the fifties, the way that they treated people with serious mental and physical disabilities. They were pulled away from society. They were kept like, they didn't want to infect other people. That was the way it was. And this man said, this is wrong. And so he decided that he was going to invite two of these men into his home because he wanted them to live with dignity and with community, Right. And he called it the ark. In his heart, God was inviting him to save these people from the destruction of anonymity. And now across the world, there's 300 arks. Jesus is real. We want our lives to reflect the things that we value the most. Pastor Daniel showed us today that God wants the beliefs we hold to actually transform the way that we live. 
Where the rubber meets the road in your life, you get to choose how to see things and who you want to be in that moment. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. If we're going to truly follow Jesus, we will be the people who choose peace. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here, lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. We would love to connect with you in person. We have services on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you are not able to join us in person, connect with us online at live.crossroadschurch.net or find us on Facebook at Go, the number two, and Crossroads. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the Stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will explore the meaning of peace. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom, but it means so much more than circumstantial calm. Shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. It's the way things ought to be. As followers of Jesus and people of Shalom, we are called to work in the world to bring things into alignment with the purposes of God and restore peace. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Beautiful next time.